Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. I like smart writing. Ethan Strauss is a smart writer. Houseofstrauss.com does a fantastic job there. Blending culture, sports together. He's the anti-media media guy. Great on the NBA. Great on pop culture and trends. Smart stuff. In the last week or two, he's written about uniforms and why uniforms need to be uniform. He's written about uh, the NBA. Bluey, the cartoon, and why it's good. Matt Areza, the punter. Remember the punter? Bills and Eagles didn't have the PR stomach for it. Kansas City Chiefs appear that to, to very much have the stomach for it. Great punter. Ethan Strauss joining us. Houseofstrauss.com is the website. That's where you can read them. I'll get to Bluey. I want to get there because I have kids and I, I'm with you on it. But let's start with the uniforms. Everybody's talking about it. It's not good for... Major League Baseball that this is a problem. Ethan, what do you make of this? Man, it just seems like we've got this problem of mission creep in so many institutions and organizations where they don't leave well enough alone. And I think in any institution, any country, any government, you have a set of issues, you have a set of the way you do things, and some things should be adjusted and some things should be left alone, and it's hard to know where to choose. But when it comes to uniforms, I just think more people need to say, leave them alone. Leave them alone. This is one of the value propositions of sports, that if I watch a Pittsburgh Steelers game, right, the players look like what I recognize a decade ago, a decade before that, before I was born, and that's a beautiful thing. And I think when you see if it's the MLB and a lot of it is their own incompetence and miscommunication and, I don't know, setting up a situation where a camera flashbulb is going to reveal the underwear of the people wearing the uniforms. But they also change the aesthetic elements that nobody wants changed. And in the NBA, you have all of these alternate jerseys, and Nike is making a million uniforms, and now people turn on the games, and it takes them a couple minutes to even know which team is it, who's home, who's away. Nobody's asking for this. I just think, you know, maybe it's unfashionable or it gets dismissed, but I think it's a beautiful thing that in sports the uniform stays constant. I think it's a beautiful thing that the Celtics uniform looks like what it did during Bill Russell. Don't change it. That's all I'm saying. It's very simple. Yeah. Now, you covered the Warriors as a beat reporter, and so you, you got a lot of face time with players. Did players in general like the uniform changes or the city additions or – you know, the varieties of uh, merchandise that the, that the teams were getting ready to put in the fan shop so they had the players wear it for a game or two. Uh, how did players react to that stuff when you okay. were covering? Yeah. I'm so glad you asked that because in a way it's very revealing. Um, the players would get excited when they were wearing a retro jersey, right? It was exciting to them to wear something from – even those old sort of garish Warriors uniforms, but if they were the We Believe uniforms, then the players would get kind of excited about that. And I think that's this underrated thing. We were fed this uh, 
this kind of mantra that, oh, if you don't like the new uniforms, you're old, and the young kids, this is what they want. I don't think that's actually true. I think young people like to be part of history. Now, the irony of the conversation that we're having right now, John, is that you cover Oregon football, and I think they're almost (laughs) the exception that proves the rule, right, where they made their thing constantly changing uniforms. And maybe if we're looking at why this started to become so widespread in sports, people wanted to be like Oregon with the Nike backing, and they thought that they would be regarded as just as cool as the way Oregon does it, but I think we only had room for one Oregon. And I don't think people want this. And I, look, I'm only talking about it. I'm not pretending that this is the biggest issue in the world. It's just something that I hear about disproportionately than I would have expected. A lot of my readers, a lot of my subscribers write into me, and they say, this is annoying. When are the leagues going to stop this? And when I look around, it just, it just looks like money on the sidewalk where nobody's really taking this up and saying stop already. And I think if you if you polled fans and you said what are the best uniforms historically in sports, you would get you'd get name brand answers. You'd get Dodgers, you'd get yeah. Lakers, you'd get Celtics, you'd get Dallas Cowboys. You wouldn't get Maryland football. <laughs> no, you would not. You would not get Maryland football. Although maybe some of the people in Maryland have a special affection for uh, the 2011 crazy helmet. Uh, that grab national headlines. And I think that's part of what this is, though. It's the grab a headline. I think it's an easy headline. I do think a lot of the media is pretty corporate these days, and this is just an easy kind of article that you can get out of them where they'll talk up your new redesign and whatever explanation you give because they're hungry for content, and it's inspired more of this mission creep. And I just think it's one of these many things you see in sports where it's a little bit penny-wise, pound-foolish, and maybe you can justify it as we make a new uniform and we sell a new uniform at the shop. But, again, part of the proposition of sports is that it's something that's passed down from one generation to the next. So maintaining that, holding on to that, especially if you have a franchise that has had some good times and some winning and people have some happy memories, I mean, I know that when Jerry Seinfeld talks about rooting for laundry, it's a bit of a jab at our absurdity as sports fans. But if you take that literally, then the laundry matters. Um, It matters quite a bit. It's your image. It's your brand identity, not to sound all corporate. Um, And I just think there needs to be more of a push to just settle down, simmer down, stop changing a bunch of stuff when you're a powerful signal in a culture that has a lot of noise already. Ethan Strauss, our guest, houseofstrauss.com, former bait reporter, covered the Warriors at ESPN and The Athletic uh, before launching House of Strauss. Uh, It's a terrific read. Give it a look if you're interested there. Ethan, um, what was that Warriors locker room like, and could you see the trajectory of this franchise unfolding before your eyes, or what was that experience like for you? Oh, yeah. The the question of what was the locker room like is very much dependent on when it was. And when the big winning started, that first season, it just felt like being on the casino floor and a jackpot has been hit and money just keeps flying out of the machine and it just doesn't stop. And everybody is over the moon about it. But Pat Riley's disease of more is a real dynamic. And people get used to winning. And then when they brought Kevin Durant in, maybe you can say that the titles count for the same and people talk about how many they won, but the happiness definitely shifted. And I remember 
somebody affiliated with the team said there are no wins here because you can't beat expectations when you have the most talented roster of all time. And I think it was fascinating to be around them and see the rise, see the way that Steph was almost like, uh, as his bodyguard put it, 1984 Michael Jackson and the mobs of people and all the energy around that uh, was just an amazing thing to behold. But then it was also fascinating just to watch people and the way NBA dynasties end. I mean, here's what's interesting to me about NBA dynasties is that they don't, they don't, generally end by natural causes like in the nfl where it's injury generally right i mean breaks of the game that's a book about the uh that that might be uh near and dear to your heart up there um that's about the breakup of the blazers championship team due to ego and we're fascinated by it i mean we're fascinated by the shaq kobe lakers breaking up and with the warriors the kevin durant warriors broke up ultimately out of ego and personality conflict. It just seems like it's a very NBA thing that when you reach the top of the mountain, it's personality clashes that disrupt the whole venture as opposed to something more natural. The the Draymond Green today feels different from the exterior of the Draymond Green years ago when they were really locked in. And, and But I don't know what that was like because I wasn't covering those teams. I wasn't rooting for those teams. I was just watching from a distance. Uh, Draymond has become, I think, more of a problem. Uh, did you see that coming, or has Draymond always been Draymond, but the winning covered it up? Ooh, I think the winning might have accelerated some of those aspects, but that was early on. I think that Draymond and Steve were at loggerheads fairly early on, and you could see it in the first championship where Draymond is a little bit soft on stage. And he started to air some dirty laundry about his dynamic with Steve. And then in 2016, Draymond took another level. He went up another level with his game. And then there was some even more conflict. And they had to be separated in the locker room. And so I think with Draymond, it's just two things are true. Um, He's the greatest defensive player of his generation. And he's very high maintenance. And I don't think any of that has really changed much. He might not be ex- as explosive athletically uh, as he was in 2015, 2016, but he's still a really good player. He came back, they started winning again, and they just can't get rid of him. It's just this its a situation where you would want to be rid of all the headaches in theory, all these crazy situations where he bumps into a guy or kicks a guy or steps on a guy in a playoff series and suddenly there's a suspension. You just want to wash your hands of it. You just want to turn the page. But he always seems to play just well enough to where you can't. And they've been locked into this dynamic uh, dynamic for like a decade now. We're talking to Ethan Strauss. Houseofstrauss.com is the website where you can read his work. Uh, you wrote recently about the punt god, Matt Areza, who had some legal problems. He was accused of... Uh, sex assault, that uh, charges were dropped and there was no charges filed, and now he has been signed by the Kansas City Chiefs. Why weren't why weren't there more NFL teams lining up for Matt Areza? Frankly, if I had to guess, I think it's because they were scared of the media. I mean, there was media pressure. I remember last season, you know, the season before the season that just uh, that just finished up. Uh, the Eagles had an injured punter. They badly needed a punter for that playoff run to get through the Super Bowl. And there were Eagles media members 
because the name uh, Matariza was floated out there, who were warning against it and saying they shouldn't, and they ultimately did not. I'm guessing because maybe they didn't want to be questioned about it. If they went to the Super Bowl, it would be a topic in that media hullabaloo, which to me is absurd. It's just, I think it's this problem in media right now where people are watching everybody else's reaction and basing their reaction off of that, as opposed to just looking at the situation, forming their own opinion on the basis of evidence. From September of 2022, which was a few months after the allegation that was levied at Ariza in a civil suit in August of 2022, the San Diego District Attorney said that on the basis of video evidence, they were not going to press charges. They basically were saying that they had evidence of what had happened on video, and that was the reason. From there, we should have just moved on as, as sports media and said, okay, well, you know, we got this one wrong. But by then, I mean, there was all this hysteria in the aftermath of the initial accusations because they were so graphic, because they were so horrible, which ironically is why people should have been skeptical. It was more like a movie than reality. Um, but there was never really any atoning. There was never really any accounting for it. And so it just kind of lingered out there over this guy's reputation. And I think it just took somebody like Andy Reid and the Chiefs uh, in per their situation where their very good punter was leaving in free agency to go, we don't care. This guy's been cleared. I mean, he's not even exonerated because he was never charged with a crime. Uh, the civil suit has been dropped. Um, so, I think, you know, the Chiefs had the capital, the social capital, to just not care. And I think Andy Reid is somebody who tends not to. I mean, remember, he got Michael Vick, um, and maybe enough time had passed. But that's a lot of time from September of uh, 2022 to now. And I think it's just an example of how media groupthink uh, can be irrational and destructive when it overlaps with certain issues. Sabrina Ionescu and Steph Curry, I thought, provided a nice moment for the All-Star Weekend. But the rest of that weekend was an absolute disaster. Uh, Our show on the following Monday was callers calling in saying how much they hated it or turned it off and didn't watch it or just over it. Uh, What what did you think of the weekend, and what can Adam Silver Hmm. do to fix this? Oh, man. Uh, What did I think of the weekend? Well, to be honest, I did not watch the game because I knew what I was getting. I mean, this has been a few years of this where they're obviously not playing a real game. So if they're not going to care, then why should I care? Uh, You know, it's, it's a little similar to some of the issues that we talked about at the beginning, right, where they can't leave well enough alone. They try to reimagine and change things. Nobody asks them to change. They had this weird setup where Adam Silver had the players like a pickup game pick their own teammates. I I don't think anybody was asking for that. I liked watching all-star games that were the East versus the West. I'm glad they at least returned to that aspect of it. But I think a lot of things in the NBA, frankly, feel like a vacuum in terms of leadership and how Adam Silver, in order to maintain a pleasant dynamic with the players, won't just tell them what they need to hear for the sake of the league. I mean, it's absurd that they won't just try. Just try. This is the most watched basketball game during the regular season right now. This is a showcase. A lot of guys are making a lot more money than they used to. This is part of how the money gets made. And it's so bizarre to me that 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 can't just be handled. Just the conversation of can you guys try 
in just one game, just one game try. Maybe we can ensure you uh, for injury risk in some way, you know, get that sorted out. But instead, it just seems like it's it's just so feckless at the top. Um, and there are a lot of related issues like that with the NBA where it just feels like weak leadership. And I just don't think something like this would happen on David Stern's watch, that level of a joke of a game. Ethan Strauss from HouseOfStrauss.com. All right, finally to Bluey. We got to talk about the TV show Bluey. Um, You mentioned it in a recent piece. It becomes a regular subject in our household. Like, it's smart stuff. My wife approves of it. She likes the way uh, the parents and the kids interact with each other. I like the show. My kids love the show. What do you love about it in your household? Man, it is. I mean, my only... It's not even a criticism. I just find myself getting choked up sometimes unexpectedly. <laughs> i got to cover up my face. My son is watching me. Um, what I love about it is that, in a way, it's a show about being a kid, but it's also a show about being a parent. And you might think that would be boring to a kid to watch parents try to figure out how to parent, but I think they're curious about us. They want to know why we're doing what we're doing and what their boundaries are. And so some of these episodes really resonate with me. I love the one where the father's trying to teach them to play chess because that's what smart people do, he says. <laughs> and it's a struggle. He's got out-of-the-box kids who don't follow a plan or a script, and he's really trying to get them to learn this sort of thing. And uh, I just saw myself in that, as I'm sure a lot of parents listening right now can see themselves in it. And I think fundamentally – it is a deep show, even if it's for kids, and they, they do the humor right and everything else because it's about that dynamic where you're so needed by your children and you're trying to give them things in order to not need you at some point. And that is a deep dynamic, and I just haven't seen a show really cover it. And I don't think that we're in an era right now where there's a lot of great TV. I think we used to be very recently, but it's not like that anymore. And obviously movies um, are not at a high point. So, yeah, this is a kid's show, sure. And I still think it's one of the best shows on television right now, and I would encourage people to watch some of the better episodes. There's an episode called The Creek in, in which Bandit takes the girls and their friend to a park, and then the kids get bored, and they go down to the creek, and they find dragonflies and tadpoles and frogs and... And um, Bluey sort of overcomes her aversion to being outdoors. And it's one of these things where, like, you know, you're trying to teach kids about the outdoors and you really can hear your parents' voice as you're watching it. And I just love the way the kids speak to the parents. Like, there's a couple of shows, Peppa Pig's one of them. I don't like the way she talks to adults. Like, the kid's a brat, Mm. you know? But these kids are not. So there you go. No, and it's it's realistic in a way. And it's the kids the kids aren't brats. I think sometimes they make the dad in some shows just kind of a goofball. Um and I think Bluey sort of nails a guy who he's not stern overly, he's not strict or mean, but he's also not a goofball. He's not an idiot and he's just trying to do the best by his kids. And I I'm really impressed by it and I'm kind of amazed at some of the notes it hits emotionally and again like you said you can hear your parents in it and then you if you're a parent you can hear yourself in it as well with what you're trying to get your kids to do on this crazy journey where uh, you're trying to get them to be independent while at the same time enjoying these moments when they still need you houseofstrauss.com check it out ethan strauss thank you man
Oh, thanks so much for having me. You bet. There he goes. I've been reading him for a while. Smart stuff. I always leave it feeling like I learned something. Ethan Strauss, great guest. Anna's going to join us in the studio coming up. We have so much to talk about. Among the topics, um, tipping, gossip, FaceTiming in public. Yeah, we'll talk about those things. Plus, the Blazers, can they get a win without Malcolm? We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.